Welcome to the Life of Christ, part two. This is term two, lessons 19 and 20. This happens to be lesson 19. We are going to go back just a little bit to chapter two and uh, page nine. Uh, we had a bit of a discussion within the class last time, and um, I just want to address something very quickly, um, and that was to do with the scriptures that we were looking at regarding the first temptation. And there was a question about, you know, how much does Satan actually know? So what I want to do is uh, go back and just have a quick look at a couple of things. Um, First of all, we were discussing, did Satan know who Jesus was? Because the demons always went out crying, says, we know who you are. You are the Son of God, and so on and so forth. So I want to offer two alternatives, uh, two options here. Because Satan's kingdom isn't organized, and that was a key thing that I brought out last time, I've said here, and let me just read out these notes. First, either Satan knew exactly who Jesus was, based on scriptures like Mark 3.11, which said, and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. And that being the case, was trying to force the Lord to use his power to his own gratification. And thereby was trying to put the Lord on the defensive, which he wouldn't allow him to do. So there's one option. Okay. The second one is he really wasn't sure that this was the Son of God. That was based on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, which said, "...which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory." Meaning that he did finally find out, but only after it was too late. I put a personal note here. I said, personally, I believe that Satan's kingdom is not as efficient and well-organized as he would like us to think. It is a kingdom in chaos and disarray, ruled by terror and fear, as opposed to God's kingdom, which is ruled by love. And every creature in it is fighting for positions, those described in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, and only looking out for itself. No one volunteering information that would benefit the kingdom as a whole. I've said here, think of the worst run company or government on the earth, and it still wouldn't come close to the way hell is run. Therefore, it is very possible that Satan, the originator of doubt itself, was genuinely unsure if this Jesus was the Son of God, regardless of the fact that all the lesser demons seem to know it as fact. Remember also that Satan can only be in one place at one time, unlike God, who is omnipresent, that's everywhere at once. And so he could have missed all the signs, and again genuinely been trying to ascertain if Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God or not. Okay, I hope that sort of adequately answers this question. Again, it is one of those things, you know, until we get to heaven, we might not find out. But it's okay. We're still getting to heaven. And that's the important part. Amen? Okay. (laughs) All right. If you have anything further you'd like to add to it, let me know and I will add to it. All right. Let's pick up where we left off in um, (laughs) chapter 2 and page 11. Okay. Now, since the devil's first attempt at tempting Jesus failed miserably, it goes on to say in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Now, the reason I'm taking a little bit of time with this is, These are the things that Satan comes to us with. Do you hear me? And we really need to um, be aware of it and be on guard. We shouldn't be taken by surprise too often. 
Yeah, it happens every so often, but it should be every so often, not all the time. And so, you know, if you're prepared, then you are ready for what he is throwing at you. In fact, I have found that if you keep your ear to the Spirit, you'll know what he's up to before he comes to you. I don't know how many times God has told me in advance something is going to happen. And so I have been ready for it. You know, usually it's the bad things. Do you hear what I'm saying? The good things, hey, who, who doesn't want to know in advance? <laughs> you know, okay? And, and if you miss it, well, praise God. It's like Christmas. You know, you get a present and you open it. Anyway, let's get back to this. Let's look at the next temptation. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 5. As you can see, there's a lot of writing in between the verse. Okay? <laughs> because I want to give you as much insight as I can about the verse. Then the devil took him up into the holy city. Now, Hendrickson comments, Matthew, the Jew, calls Jerusalem the holy city. The city where David had established his throne, the temple with its holy place and holy of holies. The city to which the tribes went up to give thanks to the name of Jehovah. And set him on the pinnacle of the outer wall of the entire temple complex. This was believed to be the roof edge of Herod's royal entrance overhanging the Kedron Valley, looking down some 450 feet, a dizzy height, says Josephus. And most importantly, the one place in all Israel where the power and protection of God would be supreme. And said to him, if you are the Son of God, see, again, we come back to the same question. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, says Luke. And notice something very important here, and that is, Satan can do no more than suggest. Only the tempted person can perform the wrong act. He can suggest, but he can't make. Only exception to that rule is if a person is totally possessed. That's different. Remember the, the uh, father with the boy that was throwing himself in the fire and had no control? That's a different deal. So back to this, again here, it says, For it is written, now this time the devil decides to quote scripture. Since that's what Jesus used to repel him the first time, and says, and this is from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. So in this account, in Matthew's account, he doesn't actually include those three words to keep you. All right. So it just says, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Which is identical to Luke 4.11. Remember, that more than one account is telling you of this incident. All right? So in verses 5 and 6, the devil, in a sensational display of power, which is part of his prideful, boastful nature, physically removes Jesus from the wilderness and transports Him to this new location. Now I want you to notice that each time it's going to go higher. Okay, so we started in the desert, turned these rocks into bread. Now he's taken him up to a pinnacle. Okay, soapbox time. All right, this is one of my soapboxes. All right, I'm getting on my soapbox. I'm telling you this is me now. I, I've seen the life of Jesus. You know, people do a movie of it. Oh, dear Jesus. Sorry, Lord. But, you know, they show this. Jesus doesn't get transported there. He's climbing up. I mean, can you imagine how stupid for Jesus to climb up the topic of a pinnacle of the temple? What, what person does that? And then the devil is going, oh, okay, you're here now. Okay, now jump. Seriously, you know, they take all the supernatural aspects out. Why is that? 
You know, let me show you. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5, it's funny how they will allow certain things and they, they won't do other things. It says in Hebrews 11 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him. This is possible. Amen? The same thing happened to Philip when the Ethiopian said, I, I need somebody to come to me and woo, Philip gets translated. This is brought out in Acts chapter 8. The end of verses 39 and 40, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, and never saw him again. But Philip found himself farther north at the city of Azotus. That's about 30 kilometers from where he was. So in an instant of time, Philip just gets translated 30 k's. Now, if all this is possible, don't tell me that the devil couldn't take Jesus and drop him on the top of a pinnacle of a temple. But isn't it interesting, he didn't move him to just before the pinnacle and let go. Do you hear me? Okay? He had to drop him down somewhere safe. You see, because if he did that, he would violate all kinds of rules. Remember Michael? Remember God's justice system? It's still active. That's the reason why you guys need to know that the devil can only do so much, but if he ever crosses a certain line, then you have the right to just jump all over him. But as was pointed out, God had said, you can't do this to Job. You can do anything, but you can't take his life. Remember that? Basically, end of story, right? And, you know, when we read the book of Job, now that we're here, let's go there for a minute. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but when we read that, see, again... Job, out of his own mouth, had just literally taken down all the hedges that God had put up. And you know, even there, there's, a, there's another case in point, where Satan didn't know. And until he came and talked to God, and God said, yeah, okay, because there was nothing there. He couldn't do anything. See, God is not a man that he should lie. Do you understand? But he won't tell the devil everything he got to find out for himself. <laughs> if he doesn't find out, he never finds out. Do you, you hear? Okay. God doesn't advertise to the devil. Oh, another one of my kids fell. You have access to him. Go do whatever you want. Never happens. Alright. One of the things that we find in the ministry of Jesus is that everything that Jesus did was in obedience to the Father. When he healed every single person, and I will bet money, and I'm sorry I'm saying this, but I'm saying it. I will bet money somebody didn't deserve to be healed that day. Truly. He healed them all. Okay? The only ones he couldn't heal were the ones that wouldn't receive the healing from him. In his own hometown. If you're gonna, we'll see all of that when we get to it. It was never a case of they didn't deserve it. They didn't receive it. Oh, everybody that received it got it. Hear me now. What Jesus was doing was showing that God was in absolute opposition to everything that happened after the fall. Sickness was not meant to exist on this planet. So, when Jesus came, He just healed everybody. Can you imagine the healthcare system would have thought, my gosh, nobody's in hospital these days. What up? <laughs> okay? There's a dude called Jesus, just taking there, he, he heals everybody. Not Uncle Joe. Yeah, Uncle Joe got healed too. Really? He's the worst sinner ever. My gosh. You sure? Yeah, he ain't running around again. Okay. <laughs> no. But you know what Jesus said? Go and sin no more. Alright, he always, you know, he healed him and he said, don't do that again. 
You know, when a guy heals you and tells you that, you listen. Amen? And there are other times he has said, lest a worse thing come upon you. Alright, and we, you know what? We need to be honest with people, you know, as well. Sometimes God will let you know, I'll heal that person, but you need to give him a warning. Because remember, he can't override their will. They can still do stupid things. <laughs> okay, amen? They did something dumb to get there, you get him out of it, they can still go do another dumb thing. Amen? That's just people, man. <laughs> okay? Alright, so. Don't know where I was going with that, let's get back to this. Okay. <laughs> Lost myself, I did somewhere. Alright. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, that's right, I was talking about... Yes, alright. So, <clears throat> you know, it is so important that you stay on course. Amen? When you are doing something, leave no space for alternatives. Alright? You stay on course. Alright, now... As far as this translation goes, let's get back to this now. All right, as far as the translation goes, okay, it was a supernatural act that the devil did to take Jesus up to the top of the pinnacle. Let's continue on from there. And so having taken Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, the devil now tries to tempt Jesus using the very trust he had placed in God and his word to supply all of his needs in the first temptation against him. By trying this time to force him to demonstrate the extent of his trust in God. Did you get that? Okay, now to give us some insight into this, William Hendrickson in his commentary translates the latter part of what the devil says in verse 6 to read. If the scripture which you, Jesus, so readily quote is true, he says no harm can befall you. For it is written, he will give his angels instructions concerning you. They will not merely arrest your fall. No, they will do more. Very tenderly, they will bear you up on their hands, lest you, wearing only sandals, should hurt yourself by striking your foot against one of those sharp-edged stones present in abundance in the abyss below. That's what's really going on. Did you get all that? Okay. Now... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> In short, the devil didn't just say, you know, that the angels will bear, your, bear you up in their hands and so on and so forth. This, the, in, when you actually read this, what he's saying is, no, the angels will take very special care of you. They won't just stop you from falling and hitting your you know, feet against sharp rocks. He said, they will gently bear you down. Okay, and very gently drop. See, even if they dropped him a little bit off the ground, he hit hit his foot on a stone and be like, ow. None of that. We're talking about a very smooth glide down. Are you all here? This is not like a parachute where you tuck and roll and everything, okay? (laughs) There's no tucking and rolling for Jesus, all right? Okay, so... What's interesting about what the devil quoted here is that he didn't finish the verse that the quote came from, which says, He shall give his angels charge over you. Remember, Luke said to keep you? So it got to there and stopped. But you know what follows? In all your ways. The devil purposely omitted that. 
You'll understand why in just a minute. And it goes and say in verse 12, In their hands they shall bear you up or lift you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So MacArthur says it is so well that he, when he writes, Note that Satan also quotes scripture, but utterly twists its meaning using a passage about trusting God in a flawed attempt to justify testing Him. Okay, so we turn our trust in God to a test God situation. Are you all here? Now, this will become more clear as we continue, I promise you. In this case, to be able to twist its meaning, the devil deliberately excuse me, omits the phrase, in all your ways. To explain why William Hendrickson writes, right, when the words are included, God promises to protect the righteous man or woman in all his righteous ways. For these are the ways of the man who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, abides under the shadow of the Almighty, and has found his refuge in Jehovah. It is to such a one that the words apply. He will give his angels instruction concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Again, that means your righteous ways, the things that God has asked you to do. Therefore, as Leon Morris goes on to explain, the servants of God cannot demand that God should keep on intervening with miraculous provision for their self-imposed needs. To jump from a height and then look to God to avert the natural consequences of such an act is just such an offense. Did you get that? So if you launched yourself off and said, Now God save me. All right. What Satan is suggesting is that Jesus should needlessly thrust himself into danger. He would be creating a hazard where where none previously existed. And for what? To compel God to save him miraculously. It is a temptation to manipulate God, to create a situation not of God's choosing in which God be required to act as Jesus dictated. Stop for a minute. Okay. Are you beginning to see what all this is about now? Are you beginning to understand what the devil was asking Jesus to do? In asking him to throw himself off, the devil is getting Jesus to create a situation to force God to help him out. You didn't have to jump. Now, if Satan pushed Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have needed to ask God to save him or to help him. If you know what I'm trying to say. Okay, immediately the angels would have engaged and brought him down. Or put him back where he, wherever he wanted to go, literally, I mean, you know. All right. Not that Jesus, not that the devil could get away with this. Remember, Jesus is still, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's a guy that can walk on water. Do you understand? I'm sure there was a lot more stuff he could do that we don't know. I am convinced of that. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. See, Jesus wasn't in the showing off business. If he was, my goodness, there wouldn't be enough books to write all the stuff he could do. Mostly people's jaws would be hitting the ground. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would, it would just be so far beyond what they could imagine. The little things that they saw, they were shocked out of their brain. Amen? I think the most difficult thing for him was to restrain himself. You know, people are wowing about the things you did do. I'm wowing about the things you stopped yourself from doing. That's where I've come in all of this. Anyway... Are you beginning to understand now why this was a temptation? Why Jesus isn't going to do this? Alright? The devil put him in a place of danger and said, now jump. 
Let me read something more to you here. The Full Life Study Bible. There's so much to this. The Full Life Study Bible makes the following point. At times, worldly people, especially carnal Christians, will use scripture in an attempt to persuade a believer to do something he knows is wrong or unwise. Some scripture, when taken out of context or not compared with other passages of God's word, may even appear to condone sinful behavior. Believers must know God's word thoroughly and beware of those who pervert the scripture in order to fulfill the desires of the sinful human nature. The Apostle Peter speaks of those who distort the scripture to their own destruction. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, he's there, he says there, some of his, that's Paul's comments, are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters around to mean something quite different from what he meant. Just as they do the other parts of scripture. And the result is disaster for them. Alright, <laughs> on a slightly lighter note. Though incredibly insightful is what Chuck Swindle writes. And that is, he says, Just imagine what a breathtaking way to inaugurate a public ministry. Talking about what Jesus is about to do, right? The jump would be spectacular. A real crowd pleaser. One that will surely establish Jesus as the Messiah the Jews expected to suddenly come down from the sky to his temple. But Jesus isn't interested in pleasing Satan or crowds with death-defying feats. His only concern is to please his Father. How many times have we, you know, something has come along and you know in your spirit, it's not exactly right. But it's a great idea, but it, you know, in your spirit, it's just something isn't quite right. And you start to talk to God, and you start to argue with Him, and you start to say, yeah, but God, this would work so well for all of us. Imagine the exposure. Imagine all the people. I mean, I wouldn't have to say anything else, man. I mean, I do this, I come floating down, they go, wow, what else do we need? Because remember in Daniel... Uh, I can't remember the chapter and verse. Uh, I think it's somewhere in chapter 7. Daniel in one of his visions talks about the Son of Man coming down on clouds. And it is, it is a vision of Jesus when he comes back. Alright? Jesus is actually going to use that quote when the high priest questioned him. And, you know, they're going to ask him, are you the son of God? Like, right down to the... Because he always kept going around and around and around. Right? They're finally going to say, are you or are you not the son of God? And he says, it is as you say. But then he's going to say, and, and, and then he quotes Daniel and talks about the son of man coming down on clouds. And, they, and that's when the, the priest goes nuts and rips his clothes and all that stuff. Wonderful things happen. Which we'll get to and we'll see when we get to it. But, the, you know, the thing is, that was one of those mess, messianic, do you understand messianic? You know, like from the Messiah, right? One of those messianic prophecies. One of those things that would establish Jesus as the Messiah. As good as having your name in lights. Do you know what I'm saying? So if you jumped and you floated down and you landed in front of the temple, everybody would bow. Because you'd be like, well, <laughs> what can you say about that? Are you here? And it would have been a great thing to do. Except it wasn't God's will. Do you hear me? And then Jesus would have been promoting something 
that everybody would have caught on to. Oh, we can all jump. We can all force God's hand. Are you with me? He was not going to do that. You know the scripture that says if you, if you drink any deadly thing? It, it didn't say when you go and make up a deadly thing and drink it. He said if. If somebody poisoned your water hole. Right? And, if, and this happened to a group of Baptist pastors. I don't know if you read this or not. They all were going up to a convention. Alright? And they got up there and they started feeling a little bit sick and all. And you know. Um, and you know. They, they, one of the, the pastors started praying and. God just spoke to him and said, don't drink the water. I mean, they already started drinking it. And he just said, stop drinking the water. And they prayed for each other and they got well. And so there was a, an army station or something that was uh, somewhere close to where they were staying. So they took a sample of this water to that station and said, could you test this water? Because, you know, we all got sick a little bit and everything. And we're just not sure about the water. They tested it. And it was poisoned. It was so poisoned, the guy that tested it said, how are you still standing? You should have killed everybody there. All they got was a little bit of a stomachache, you know, and they thought something ain't right with the water, you know what I'm saying? Seriously, it should have killed any normal person. If you drink any deadly thing, okay, it won't hurt you. Might get a little tummy ache, but it ain't going to kill you. Amen. So, here we're back to this again. Jesus is not going to let the devil force him to tempt God, to test God. He has faith in God. He knows if there's an emergency, if there's something he needs, it will be there. We need to have that same faith. Amen? That's the faith and the trust in God that we need to have. All right. Let, let's, let, let me finish off here and we'll come back and pick this up in the next session. So once again, Jesus rejects now the tempter's proposal. With Matthew chapter 4 and verse 7 saying, Jesus said to him, now this is according to Luke 4.12, Jesus answered and said to him, It is written again, or it is also written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. This verse clearly shows us the importance of knowing to say, it is also written. Amen? Most Christians have a problem with it is written. They don't even know what's written to begin with, let alone it is also written. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, his protege, who was going in the ministry and was in the ministry in 2 Timothy 2.15 and says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen? We need to get to that place. And that's the reason you come to Bible college. You are getting, I pray, the rightly divided word of God. As you learn, as you grow, as the devil starts to do stuff, you'll go, hang on a second, it is also written. And shut him down. I don't know how many people have done dumb things based on, but I got a scripture. Yeah, but it wasn't the right, that was the wrong application. Okay? That's not what it means. But they don't know. But it's a scripture. The devil knows scripture. Sweetheart, you not only need to know the scripture, you need to rightly divide the scripture. You need to know what it exactly means. Amen? Amen. Let's stop there. We'll take a break and we'll come back and continue in the next session.